My name's Michael Brower. I'm 16 and I'm scared to death. I'm not sure what this tape's gonna prove, but if I'm a killer, consider this my confession. Uh, Igor, dial 1-800-555-FEAR. Yes, Miles, stop. Well, here goes nothing. is in the cut and hello i'm jesse i am joined as i often am by aaron hi aaron hello and for the second time first time since our willow episode our first three-person episode was with josh millard who's back today hello to talk about brain scan with us the format of the show means that we talk about the whole movie so spoilers are kind of par for the course so if you haven't recently watched or rewatched this movie it's a good time to do that and uh, come back and join us for the conversation try to collect all the different ways you can watch the movie and any movie we talk about i collect them at inthecut.org so you can visit the site there and watch brain scan and come back and join us brain scan was the first movie suggested by a fan of the podcast and i've been meaning to do it for a little while now and i think i got the right couple of guys to talk about it with i can cut this out if he doesn't want me to send it say his name but it was uh, jacob henderson early early fan of the show and immediately this movie came to his mind as one that we might want to talk yeah, about. So fuck you, Jacob. <laughs> we can thank and blame him. Uh, Aaron, of course, means that in the lovingest possible way. <laughs> what a nice guy. Brain Scan was, uh, it, it seems like it would have been a different movie if I saw it when I was young and then now was rewatching it versus seeing it for, I think, the first time now, although it was vaguely familiar. I think I might have seen it when I was younger and just blotted it out. I, I have a memory of actually watching this with you, um, with you and Tiffany at uh, my old house in Ukiah. Wow. But there may have been... Um alcohol involved. I don't remember that at all. I thought I saw it with somebody else. It could it could be I could be wrong. So there's um, the thing about this movie where sometimes you watch it but then you don't remember having watched it and then there's a foot in your refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> Had you seen it before Josh you hadn't, right? I had not. I'd never even heard of it. I I read the first sentence of the Wikipedia article and said, "Yes," thinking, "Wow, this is going to be bad." And boy, Boy, was I right. Um, not quite the kind of bad I was expecting. I, I was hoping for a lot more um, evil video games. Um, or maybe at least any evil video games. Right. I mean, it, there, there was nothing about it that was had anything to do with video games. I mean, it was just like an evil Netflix subscription, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell if it was a script about the devil that they kind of shoehorned video game violence oh. into, because... That's what the kids like, or uh, a script about video games that just got gutted. <laughs> I think, okay, well, I, I, I want to say in terms of the timing, because this is, this is a whole other thing, but I, one of these days I want to just look into the entire history of movies starting in the 80s that used video games as a you know central plot point, because I feel like it's a great way to look at sort of the progress of video games and culture and the lagging progress of scriptwriters' understandings yeah. of video games and culture. I feel like 94 is right around when, you know, CD-ROM... Uh, yeah, Lawnmower Man. Full-motion video games were starting. Yeah, you, you were getting... Games were getting bigger. You were getting games on CDs. Full-motion video games were being a thing. 
but they were terrible. And so this could, in a sense, you could say this was a video game movie where the video game just happened in this case to be an amazingly realistic looking full motion video <laughs> game. You know, it's like Phantasmagoria except for, you know, in HD, but, uh, but yeah, it doesn't really work, but I feel like maybe that was part of what was going on. There you did get the impression the though, was. that it was written as a video game movie first and foremost. And they just, the person just didn't know any details about how video games worked. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Or didn't have the budget to, yeah, 94. uh, I'm trying to remember whole... the first FMV game I got on a home system was I rented a Sega CD and played sewer shark which had full motion video, oh, okay. but there was a little time before that when it came to, like, PC CD-ROM. 90, 94. I, mean, I remember I saw my probably first CD-ROM, probably, probably maybe 92, somewhere, somewhere around there. Hmm. I remember, you know, just, uh, you know, absolutely being blown away by video on a computer screen. And yeah. <laughs> you know, at the same time, some of that uh, mind-blowing uh animation was first starting to come out then um yeah lawnmower man was the first movie to really cash in on it mm-hmm. and here we go night night trap night trap was when i was night trying to think yeah. of the name of it yeah that was ago. 92 late 92 so that that timing sort of lays out well this could have been conceived as a script by someone who had just played night trap it's like you know it'd be awesome there was a movie about a video game that was made of movies and then right. it just sort of wandered away from there because everybody realized it was terrible and no let's just do this other <laughs> thing instead because that worked out so well but uh but yeah so that's my it's, theory it's that's my pretty interesting theory. what you're saying though that about how just completely out of sync the reality of video games and the and the video games treatment of movies and i always thought this about computers too the way computers work in movies has only relatively recently made any sense at all and it's so yeah, strange because, sure, yeah. like, imagine like if guns worked so differently in movies than they did in real life. Like, they often kind of do, <laughs> but like that different. It's like I, I don't know. It'd be like a purple gun that you said the name of the person you wanted to die, and then they melted. <laughs> yeah, I was actually that was one thing I was thinking about when I was watching this. Is 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 there something in current media that we get as wrong as? you know technology was for this well women for one <laughs> i don't know yeah that's a good question too yeah i feel like i feel like the mid 90s was, was probably a standout point for sort of blatantly not tracking with technology specifically on the computer front just cuz there was enough new stuff really hitting popular culture you know a lot of people were using computers more and using the internet more and and, and movies were really trying to run with that and i think the internet is a big part of that hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything super comparable right now because we may not have anything that's quite as both new and ubiquitous as some of the growth in computer use that was going on uh, in the 90s. Because at this point, there's still plenty of stupid computer, you know, user interfaces and stuff in (laughs) movies and TV, but they're not as bad because people have a better idea. If you're going to do something with with like cell phones and texting, it doesn't get as bad because you don't show as much of that that's more like you have the actor using their phone rather than staring at what the actor is staring at on the screen or their phone i feel like you can sort of work around that stuff mechanically a little bit more than if you just really need to see what's going on on a computer screen uh but i read actually i uh, i should say i read i thought about reading and haven't gotten around to reading uh (laughs) an article i saw reference somewhere talking about sort of like an apologia of terrible fake user interfaces on TV movies, (laughs) making the point that, yes, they're often really terrible, but to some extent they'd be terrible even if they were done by someone who really, really wanted it to look good because the role of a user interface on screen is not to 
show you what the computer user character is thinking or doing. It's to show you, the viewer, what's happening. And user interfaces aren't designed to communicate that much information to the person who's who's actually using the interface such that they could tell what was going on right. if they were just watching passively. You know, We know where we're typing. We know where we're clicking. We know what we're doing on a computer, so we don't need feedback on that stuff. But the viewer of a movie about it would just be completely fucking lost watching someone actually use uh, a lot of programs because that's not how it was designed. It wasn't intended for, you know, coherent passive consumption like that. Right. So, so that's something. And I think uh, there's, you know, in, in movies and television now, there really is a, uh, you know, a language of how computers work on screen that's doesn't really have it. Yeah. It doesn't have anything to do with, you know, the actual usage, but uh Particularly, I've been noticing a lot of kind of Foley work when there's a computer going on. The, you know, little computer blips and beeps that, you know, I mean, they still, you know, still really often on TV. I hear, you know, when their their interface will do the little accessing data noise hmm. when you're supposed to know they're doing a certain thing with the computer. Or uh, You know, one of my favorite bits of uh, video or computer and video game Foley in movies is every game is just sounds like asteroids. So you'd be like watching people play Street Fighter and it's like pew, pew, pew. Yeah, it's it's really strange. Um, even a better movie than this that's very video game centric or youth culture centric, they so rarely will show. I mean, this has changed uh, only really recently. They will rarely show an actual video game. Uh, they will I mean, either make up a fake game or, yeah, just have uh, don't show the screen and have the asteroids noises. Yeah. Watch someone uh, emoting with a controller. Yeah, I, I remember really enjoying the fact that, like, in Spaced, I feel like remembering yeah. whenever they had video games in Spaced, like, Simon Pegg was just enough of a gamer nerd that he actually apparently cared a little mm-hmm. bit of that. And so, yeah, there would actually be coherent gaming going on and reference visually on screen to match up with what they were doing with the controllers and stuff. That's funny. I actually was uh, just about to mention that, yeah, I read an interview with uh, Edgar Wright, the director of Spaced, and uh, um, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz... Uh, and yeah, he uh, I mean, he he made the point about just how much he hates the we are playing video game, <laughs> right? Uh, he made a point of yeah, when everyone wants like with any media, uh, he was really into you know with any media having the actual media that that person would be interested in, and you know also very good with uh, music and. Well, bless you, Mister Wright. You're doing God's work. Oh, yes. I wonder how much of that stuff um, I really want to blame on the writer, though. It's, I mean, a movie like this or whatever, any any software interface, whether it's a video game or just a computer UI for whatever, you know, the constraints of how you, the format you write a script in are really don't leave a lot of, like, room for explaining the nuance of how the interaction is happening. So I guess a lot of it probably just follows to, like, the production design and the art directors and set people. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. And, and yeah, I imagine, yeah, unless you have a whole lot of control over it, you, yeah, you'd probably be kind of fucked for making sure that actually works out the way you want it to. Uh, to some extent, the argument could be made for not writing something that you know is going to get botched because you don't have control over it, right. but uh, that may be asking a little bit too much of someone <laughs> writing the script for brain scan. You are dial one 555 Yes. Hello, you've reached BrainScan. Uh, my name is Michael Brower. You can reach me at 717. Hello, Michael. Sorry, thought you were a machine. How can I assist you? 
I read your ad in Fango, and I just wanted to find out what's the big deal. It's the most frightening experience you'll ever have the displeasure of coming into contact with. Sure it is. Look, I've played them all. Brain scan's more than just a game. Yeah, right. Well, what's it about? That depends on the individual. What makes brain scan unique is that it interfaces with your subconscious. You supply the inspiration, and we take care of the rest. Look, R2-D2, how do you really expect me to believe <laughs> Let us worry about the details, Michael. It's too late for that. It's been decided you'll play death by design. The first installment will arrive soon. Enjoy the ride. Oh, yeah, this was this was a really bad movie. This was uh, I really I really I hated basically every detail. of it. I, uh... <laughs> what about the part where the um, trickster danced around to Primus? Jesus. It was, um, it, it made me hate myself in the 90s a little bit, but I don't know. It's the 90s. Were, were the 90s really terrible just in every way? Uh, no, uh, there was a lot of great things. Okay. This movie just forgot about them. Right. No, there was actual fun computer games. <laughs> and that's uh, a great metal. Um, Would you guys, the soundtrack, I kind of, there was moments in the soundtrack that I had fun with. It was nice to go back in time a little bit with a couple of the songs. Yeah, um, Butthole Surfers and White Zombie. Yeah. um, I think are, and Primus are the only ones I recognized. White Zombie as remixed by KMFDM, I noticed. Right. (laughs) A little bit of extra there. Yeah, so like that time capsule aspect was fun. Uh, There's a couple other little tiny bits like the answering machine that he's listening to the message from his dad. I had that exact answering machine, and I remember how the (laughs) buttons felt and everything. I wanted to say something about that, actually. This is probably me reaching for subtext that isn't there, but uh, we're establishing Edward Furlong's character, uh, Michael, as as being into video games uh, along with whatever else. And then we've got a message from his dad on his machine uh, saying that, oh, you know, I hate these machines. And and uh, two things. First of all, sort of subtext conflict between where the kid is immersing himself in the distractions of like video games mm. along with horror movies and whatnot. But two, also uh, a generation gap there. Well, I, no, I was going to say three years after Edward Furlong starred as young John Connor in uh, Terminator 2. So, you know, maybe his dad is like some sort of surrogate Sarah oh, Connor figure sure. via answering machine in this. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, you know, it's not actually there. <laughs> it, 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 I was cl- I was looking for something to, to get attached to in this uh so speaking of Eddie Furlong in Terminator 2, did do you remember just being just wincing every time he opened his mouth in Terminator 2? Because I don't really. I mean, I wasn't going to give him an Academy Award or anything for that performance, but this just, I mean, it looked like he was standing in front of the class reading a book report every time he delivered a line in this movie. I, I don't feel like his deliveries in this movie were really that much worse than they were in Terminator 2. I think Terminator 2 was just so much better of a movie overall that that you could recover between line deliveries in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I and, thought he was you know, James right. Cameron knows how to direct actors. Right. Um, Remember in Terminator 2 when he, he they're in the building and he runs to him and says, the cops are here. And they say, how many? And he goes, uh, all of them, I think. <laughs> I really liked, he, I, I loved that delivery on that. Um, well, what about um, American History X? I actually, you know, that's not a movie I've rewatched. Um, I mean, I remember him being genuinely good in that. I would, I would have to revisit it to know. He wasn't the same kind of like just nasally wine factory that he was in this in, in Terminator 2. I think he he, he just grew yeah. into the 
just matured a little bit by that time. And that may be the big difference. Yeah. Like this really feels like he was still like he got cast as you were John Connor in Terminator 2 in this movie. And he sort of played that, but without, you know, the interesting resolve to the whole thing. I want to just say right here, right now, yeah. I got the feeling going in like like 20 minutes of this movie. I was, I was thinking this is going to be a fucking it was all just a dream movie. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, it was a fucking it's all just a dream movie. And I that's the worst thing in the world. <laughs> there has never been an interesting. Oh, yeah, it's all happy ending. It was all just a dream movie. I'm I'm just going to throw it right down there. Like there there may have been a few that were like lots of misdirection and then a weird complicated bad ending, but never <laughs> it was all just a dream and everything's okay and I walk away from that movie thinking, gosh, I'm sure glad that's how they handled that because that to, was satisfying. I have to say the real knife in my heart was knowing 5 minutes in that it's going to be a this was all just a dream or was it? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you stayed for the credits, but there was a little bit oh, of an idiotic stinger <laughs> built into the credits even. Me and Aaron were watching this relatively concurrently, and Aaron just s- s- sends me a message, and he's like, this movie never ends. <laughs> it never ends, and nothing is happening. Nothing has happened in the last 40 minutes. <laughs> and then I think I beat him to the credits, and so I message him back. I'm like, I finished it. I beat Brain Scan. And then the <laughs> credit stinger happens, and I just am like, ah! You know, yeah. if they never made a sequel, they could have called it Brain Scan Disc 2. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wanted to go back to the music for a minute. It's interesting that, I mean, it had, it did have a pretty interesting and pretty hip for the time soundtrack, but it was, I mean, just terribly used. I mean, they never used any of the soundtrack for actually scoring scenes or whatever. It was just little interstitial bits of of, uh, stuff so they could, you know, sell the soundtrack later. I I feel like there was a ton of that in the 90s, you know, when, when they started, yeah, getting the kind of alternative-y soundtracks until uh, The Crow, which actually looked up, and that came out maybe a few months later. <laughs> and that kind of just changed how how people use licensed music in movies. Hmm. Um, the Crow used the the music really well, you could tell. I think. I mean, I think that the director of The Crow had been a music video director also. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that helps. And, uh, the other one I was thinking of, though, when you were talking was SFW. Have you seen that movie? Uh, not for a long time. I'm trying to remember. I think it, it was similarly, and it might have come out before The Crow, but I'm not positive. Speaking of The Crow... Um, Do you know we talked about The Crow when, when we were recording The Willow episode also? <laughs> no. <Did we? laughs> yeah. I remember very well. <laughs> I think it's a sign. Uh, Edward Furlong was uh, later The Crow in the worst Crow movie that there was. <laughs> That would be uh, this Crow's City of Angels? No, no. There was another one? Yeah, they get they get worse. Yeah, they, oh they keep coming out. I think they're still oh, coming wow. out. You're fucking kidding um, me. He played the he played the chubby crow. <laughs> <laughs> I know that he got chubby as he got a little older, but the chubby crow sounds like a terrible <laughs> mental image. Uh, what was that film you were watching? Death, death, death. Death, death, death. Oh, Lord. Don't you see? Senseless violence is not entertainment. What is it, then? Why? Why do you watch these films? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Help me understand. I guess it's kind of an escape. Like, uh, like lighting up a marijuana cigarette and escaping the real world, hmm? Like watching a 
pornographic sex film, getting an erection and raping someone? Is that what you mean? There's there's the whole interaction between uh, Michael, the Edward Furlong character, and uh, the the evil principal, or just <laughs> stodgy principal, however you want to view him, where he's basically like, hey, your horror movie club is BS because this is just crap and pornography and whatnot. And, and he sort of like, you know, dares Michael to defend this stuff. And I was actually really disappointed. And I realized it's just not the character they were going for. But I'm really disappointed that, that Michael did not come back with a more robust and enthusiastic defense of like the role of horror in pop culture and stuff. Like, you know, if this movie were made today, I don't think anybody would buy that the guy didn't have a blog about it. Right. You know, that he was updating and some fucking trivia to throw down. It just you I know, don't think the person who made this movie likes horror movies very much. Yeah, it felt like the movie agreed with the principle. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, like, um I I I hesitate to even mention his name because we've been avoiding talking about him the entire time so far but the trickster even says like you don't watch horror for the characters or the storyline and it's really like he's apologizing for the movie that we're watching but he's like nothing has to make sense or be good you just want people to be killed although i did i did get a laugh out of death 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 part two part two i did get a giggle out of that i think that's fine Man, all of the principles, like, I'm a stodgy old adult who just doesn't get it lines, were some of the worst I have ever heard. <laughs> yep. At one point he's like, yo, oh, you know what it's like? It's it's like watching pornography and then going out and raping someone. It's like <laughs> really? watching pornography, <laughs> getting an erection, and then going out and raping someone. And then, right. It's like smoking a marijuana cigarette. Oh god, then, uh, it just was it was nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> the literal nails on a chalkboard thing that happened was a relief from the dialogue. <laughs> the, the, Eddie Furlong kills a guy with bricks on accident, runs away, smacks into a cop, and the cop says this is his exact words. What are you doing, kid? They just shot the killer over there. <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here, kid. That's a fucking line of dialogue from this movie. And do you know what? Okay, this you. I never would have believed this, but do you know what famous movie that the three of us all love that the person who wrote this movie also wrote later? What? Seven. Really? Yeah. Wow. He did a much better job. He did got a little better between this and that. <laughs> he also um, uncredited rewrites on Panic Room, Fight Club, and you know it's he's he's been involved in really good movies, including writing Seven. Sounds like he's he's a a buddy of Fincher. Right. I think yeah. That, uh, but I, I I that's too much cognitive dissonance to think that the guy who wrote these who wrote this isn't a game anymore. This is just <laughs> crimes. Lots of <laughs> which which Michael only asserts late in the film after like four right. people are dead. Right. Not he after kills the first two one. people in cold blood, and then after he bricks a guy to death on accident, now it's not a game anymore. Yeah. Uh. Well, after he bricks a guy to death on accident, and then a community watch dude shoots a cop. Right. Who pull? I went back and watched the scene where the <laughs> the cop pulls out his gun, and the guy, the cop, totally does look like he's just about to stone cold shoot someone in the head or something. It makes no sense. I mean, I guess they're looking for whoever dropped the bricks on the principal. Yes, or he's still chasing after the person he saw out the window. Oh, maybe he's still doing that. But anyway, yeah. At some point, he decides now is the time I need to pull out and aim my gun. <laughs> but there's no sense that he's got anybody in his sights except maybe the guy who actually shot him in apparent self-defense. Right. 
So it's like, what was going on there? And then, yeah. Not I, a lot of good police work coming out of that guy, I know. <laughs> not really, he no. He also, like, he's, he's dusting for prints, and then the phone rings, and then he just, like, answers it like he forgets it's not his house. <laughs> that was his introduction to the movie. It was not much of police work. Like, like, like the, the best police work in the entire film was when uh, the main detective noticed that there were ashes in the fireplace in the summer. Which, you know, okay, that's a little bit of, yeah, detective work there. But that was like the entire right, extent. Right, into the house to find that out? I don't <laughs> And just walk straight over to the fire? I don't know. Uh, I understand. And just found rummaging blood. through Michael's ash hole there. It's Burnt blood samples? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I don't think that necessarily works. Right, and you get lab results by a cop on the beat <laughs> getting the results in an envelope and then driving around until he finds you. <laughs> also, another little detail I liked about like the 1994 of this is that it was still plausible at that point that you would find out about it, about a video game from reading an ad in a magazine. Yeah. Rather than totally. like, you know, the internet. Sure. I don't think there ever was an ad for a video game in Fangoria though. Well, yeah. But. <laughs> Probably not. I, I mean, it's, I, I liked that they were just into Fangoria. I, got, I liked a lot of the set dressing stuff. Like I mentioned the answering machine, but some of those poster, you know, the Iron Maiden posters and stuff. I like, you know, it's just fun to live in that moment a little bit. Yeah, the bedrooms were done up in this, and he had a pretty badass collection of weird shit. It sort shit. of, like, stopped happening, though. It's just, like, the first quarter of the movie, there's some of that, and then everything just kind of disappears. Yeah, that felt kind of bait-and-switchy. It felt like, you know, coming into it, that a lot of the movie was going to be, you know, awesome 90s kid in his awesome 90s room with cool technology, and, right. you know, he has his robo-butler, and... You know, that kind of wish fulfillment stuff. And, you know, he was going to, I was hoping for a little Ferris Bueller stuff yeah. going on. But, yeah. uh, yeah. The, the Robo Butler was very, uh, that was very like Sandra Bullock in the net. You know, that was like, that was one of the shining moments of just bullshit cinema computer stuff in this film. It's pretty inconvenient that you can never use the word later in a sentence without the butler hanging up the phone. <laughs> yes. Yeah. When he wanted to dial his modem, I guess he had a modem. Um, here's something that made no sense why did he call the number every time he put the disc in except for the third disc he didn't dial the number <laughs> there was a lot of inconsistency with how this whole disc experience was it, was it supposed to be a modem that he was dialing in and patching into the brain scan thing I or? guess that's why he had to call because he didn't talk to anyone on the phone after dialing so I guess it was something. I think it was supposed to, to be a modem I think you know modems were this cool thing that we knew about um, I think yeah this movie just doesn't know the difference between like a television and a video game system and a computer and a phone i just think it just thinks they're all the same <laughs> object it was it was forward looking this was actually a very 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 early viral ad for the xbox one mm. complete with the uh, voice commands that accidentally turn things off you know it's topical, topical. um <laughs> oh what one other thing aaron that you mentioned there was i'm su i'm surprised you caught that there wouldn't be an ad for a video game in fangoria but Apparently, the band Aerosmith bought an entire back page ad in a high school. Oh my god! I was gonna mention paper. every everyone is yeah. Every human being in this movie had a giant Aerosmith poster. Everybody just likes Aerosmith, and they had a full page ad in the back of the high school paper. It's like Aerosmith <laughs> County. It's like the Aerosmith <laughs> County Police Department. Okay. So here's my Aerosmith did advertise in uh, high school papers. <laughs> Here, here's a, here's a theory for you. Brain scan was actually a pitch by this guy, his his notion for a concept album that Aerosmith could write. Mm -hmm. And he thought it would be awesome. It'd be all about basically, you know, some of the themes in this film. And so he 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 wrote a pitch for it. They didn't return his calls. 
And so he decided to think outside the box. And so he, uh, think outside the box, what's in the box? Yeah, seven, we're tying forward. So he, uh, so he sits down and he writes the script and the script is basically his way of convincing Aerosmith that obviously there's a strong concept here. And so he, he, he puts this together and he, he makes the film and he just chock full of Aerosmith. That's the secret message of the film is Aerosmith, please make my concept album wait, on your biggest fan. Wait, wait, wait. Didn't Aerosmith have like a CDI? They had a video game. Um, that was like, yeah, in the very early CD-ROM days. I don't remember if it was like a 3DO or a... But, you know, it had oh, like... fuck, and it was like a shooter well, it game? Was, it was originally an arcade rail shooter. It was a rail shooter yeah. called Revolution yeah, X. Yeah, where, oh, where you fuck, sh- yes. shot CDs. And it had... Uh, yeah, you shot CDs. Yes. Or a CD yes. was a... You, you shot you a were CD shooting to get an extra CDs. life. A CD was your life number one. No, you life. fired she- CDs. You fired your... CDs. Yes. So, I played you that know fucking that, game in the arcade. You know what that game came out? That game came out in 1994. Mm-hmm. message received yeah. but they said hey that's a really great idea guy but you know what we're gonna do we're gonna make our own video game instead uh-huh. and he was heartbroken and the bitterness drove him to perfect his art and that's how he got good enough to uh, write decent movies later on it all makes sense unlike this movie and you know who doesn't have a poster anywhere in seven Aerosmith, Aerosmith. <laughs> uh, David Fincher uh, famously got his career uh, started directing um uh, what is the Aerosmith song that he did the video for? Crazy? Oh. Was that the name no. of the song? No. Um, is it the one where Alicia Silverstone jumps off the bridge? Crying? Crying. Crying is the one I'm thinking of. Not crazy. Sorry. Uh, Jamie's got a gun. Oh, that early. Okay. Yeah, that was, uh, I think, David Fincher's first thing that he became known for. I could be wrong, absolutely wrong about it, this, but well, I let, think let, we're let's assume it because it ties in very closing nicely. in on the conspiracy. Damn, I think we just got we just about got it. So. Uh, <laughs> There you go. The code pieces, is cracked. The pieces all fit. Next time we'll figure out uh, how Kubrick's uh, The Shining is is proof that the moon landing was faked. Mm. Unless someone beat me to that, I've been I've been meaning to blow that wide open for a while. Has someone <laughs> gotten there before me? I, uh... Anyway, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of Aerosmith in the movie. There was, I guess, what we're trying to say. Quite a bit. <laughs> Except there was no Aerosmith music in the movie. Yeah, maybe that's when it all started to fall apart. They, they knew what was going on, and so they, they, they refused to grant the rights. They fought the compulsory licenses, even. Right. It's just an ad, bird brain. Just hype. Remember, Gore Beast? Trash. Damn it, it's, it's interactive CD-ROM. Here, you gotta look at the ad, at least, man. It's in Fangoria. You know, the one with the, uh, with the popping eyeballs on the cover. All right, where is it? Yeah. Here. Um... We dare you to participate in the most frightening experience available on this planet. State of the art. Run amok. Unleash the dark side of your soul. Enter a game that feels more real than reality. (laughs) It's interactive, dude. You're in the game, man. You're in control. (laughs) Say no more, man. I can't even believe that, that I'm sitting here telling you also, where did this kid get a super widescreen letterbox TV? Did you notice that? His TV is the same aspect ratio as the film itself. Even though no one ever made those, people basically don't make them now. Even when we've got widescreen, they don't make them like 21 by 9, which is what this kid's was. It was, it was bizarre. Huh. I, don't, I mean, he got it because his dad was rich, I guess, was the implication. But you're right about the aspect ratio. But still, 
who made those? Did anybody ever make a TV like that? I mean, not ever, ever. I'm sure somebody did. But, you know, you, you couldn't go buy that at, at the fucking store. I guess it's possible that's his computer monitor. I think he hacked it. I oh, think he's a probably, hacker. Probably that's what happened. <laughs> I mean, his he's computer like, monitor was just like an old TV CRT with the outside taken off. Right. But, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering what, I mean, what this game actually is. I mean, they keep mentioning it's a system that can put out magical somethings but it, i think you just got a disc in the mail and it's i guess a windows pc video game right um that you play without any sort of controls or is it a dvd is it an interactive dvd because it was kind of unclear there right all, all it seems like to me is like it, it there's some like special flashing light pattern that it enters your subconscious and then all that happens on the screen is that countdown for the rest of the disc so that doesn't have to be software wise that doesn't have to be interactive at all at, at the end it, there was a computer rendered maze in the background for some reason, <laughs> <laughs> it's that's that's just the Windows screensaver where it goes down. Yeah, the maze. Yeah. I think they I think they just shipped a screensaver. This <laughs> is what it was. At some point, they must have started to render the video game effects because it seems like that's is the whole reason this movie got made was to do the Lawnmower Man thing or whatever. Right. Um. I mean, you definitely get the sense that you're going to see some cool computer graphics, and you do see a little, you know morphing stuff later on right well and there's the tunnel sequence whenever you're going into the game too right but i don't think that even happened on the screen of the the title sequence i don't think that happened on the screen like remember that i kind of liked that he decided for the second disc to set up a camera and record himself doing it i thought that was clever but yeah i think it's if i'm remembering right he just like hits play then there's the flashing eyes on the the face on the screen and then it's just a timer and he walks yeah, away. Yeah, he just sort of, yeah, and he sort of zonks out. And right. we see, we see the the zooming through the CGI tunnel effect, but we see that as the viewer. We don't see that as something that he sees on the screen. Right. So. That's just movie shorthand for going into someone's brain, I think. It's, I, don't, I don't think it's meant, it's even part of the game. I guess. I don't know. All I know is that they credited a whole separate unit specifically for producing that effect. So. <laughs> oh, another thing that dates this movie kind of badly Um I feel like is uh, there's an American Express reference uh, where oh Trickster is looking through Edward Furlong CDs and checking them on the floor and basically besmirching them without mentioning what they are, which is a big. <laughs> I want to know what he thinks of shit. I don't want him just to be like, oh, you listen to crappy music, you know, mention Dave Matthews band or something. <laughs> but 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 then he pulls out a CD. He's like, never leave home without it and puts it in and starts rocking out to, you know, whatever yeah. it was. Did they have a big ad campaign going on then? Or? I don't know if they uh, do. Well, I mean, I looked I this up because like, you know, there was a, in the in one of the worst Batman movies, Batman makes the same joke. He pulls out a bat credit card. This is in Batman and Robin. Worst movie ever. <laughs> yeah. uh, pulls out a bat credit card and says, you know, never leave home without it. Well, well I think it's sort of a perennial. Uh, I think it's a perennial reference in the context of actual like credit cards. Like people will still use it, you know, every once in a while. But it's usually I'm making a joke about this credit card right. that's involved in this context. You know, and I looked this up on Wikipedia because I was curious about it. And uh, they've got a whole list of. Uh, references and parodies of the the that particular Amex slogan, some of which postdate this, like they used it in The Sopranos at one point, but it was when they had just done some sort of crime involving stealing credit cards or something. Uh, but the slogan is "Don't leave home without it." Not never. Leave. So not only did they use a dated slogan in a context that didn't really make much sense, but they didn't even get it right. They fucked it up. So yeah, I, I feel like that's like that's like nutshell. 
Yeah, I, pretty much. I really felt like they wanted the trickster to have these great, you know, Freddy Krueger one-liners, but just couldn't come up with any. Yeah. yeah it's like it's one of those things where you should never try and write a character who's <laughs> smarter than you are. If you're going to write a Sherlock Holmes script, you better be a smart motherfucker, because right. otherwise it's just not going to work. And so, yeah, you, you can't write zingers if you have no zing within you. And so it's like... <laughs> right. it's, this movie just, definitely uh, lacked zing. The pop culture savvy guy in the movie is just always fucking annoying to me. Honestly, I think it's annoying when Freddy Krueger does it too, but it's not nearly as bad. Well, but when, but when it was Fred- awesome at the time. Maybe. Like it doesn't have to be pop culture, it can just be, you know, catchphrases. Then catchphrases fine, you know, I mean generally terrible, but in a sort of fun sort of way. It's just like, yeah, when you when you tie the catchphrase to something topical, that's a lot more problematic. It's, it's even problematic to me when it's when it's still topical. Like it's I don't know, there was the one Nightmare on Elm Street where he's playing a video game and he's like, now I'm playing with powers. I forget any of the fucking lines. Because <laughs> he had a power glove with Freddy fingers and I thought on it. it was stupid. <laughs> and that was so Shit. fucking cool, so Jesse, you shut up. <laughs> he had a Freddy power glove. I love it. It's so bad. Yeah, no, I mean, catchphrases is one thing, but just tying into pop culture in any ways always, always yeah. has grated on my nerves. That's two famous gloves. Forget all this. Join your mother. Take your own life. You thought of it many times before. You could be with her forever. You started this and now you're afraid to finish it just like you're afraid of everything else. Of Kimberly, of Fromberg, of telling your father how sick you are being left alone all the time. Of your mother who abandoned you. I'm trying to help you, but you won't let me. Part of the problem is it's really hard to get involved with the main character in this for a couple reasons. One of which is that he just doesn't seem to have any real redeeming qualities for most of the film. Really, for any of the film, the, the, the ending is a happy ending, but it's just sort of like an invented happy ending. Like he's just he obviously dislikes the fact that he's kind of an PS, you know, PTSD under socialized jerk. But he just sort of is a jerk. You know, he's just sort of like he's an unlikable guy who like is at, at his best is just sort of casually enjoying in some media with some friends and the rest of the time he's just like standoffish and doesn't like anybody and is mean to people and then hates himself for being mean to people but then he just keeps being sort of like a standoffish dick it's like there's nothing there to be like oh man i really identify with what you're struggling with it's just like kid you're being kind of a dick you know it's i feel i totally feel the same way and and, and i think that the, the the biggest attempt the movie makes to humanize him is by making him have a secret crush on his neighbor but that comes across so fucking gross <laughs> the spying on her and the getting undressed and then the weird like he's asking her out and she says no when he keeps pushing her and like then he goes through her pictures and stuff it's like that wait what you mean at the very end yeah. when he's okay so this is this is an interesting thing cuz yeah in the film like I feel like the film divides nicely into before he puts in the first disc and then the entire bulk of the film, which is like the it was all just a dream segments where he goes through and kills people and people get killed. And at the very end, he gets shot by the detective out of the blue. And then the the (laughs) final 10 minutes of the film where he wakes up with a shock from that and it was all just a dream and then everything's okay. And he goes, has his it's a wonderful life moment where he suddenly goes to a party and finds that girl and 
says right. hello and asks her out. And so in near the end of the it's all just a dream sequence, he's got that thing where she's trying to talk him down from basically weirdo murdering her as a <laughs> half monster, half kid thing. And she's talking him down by saying, hey, you know, you like me. I, I like you, too. I watch you, too. And and at that point, it's like this movie is a morality play cautioning you to be open about your, you know, voyeur kink, because if only you just communicate <laughs> up front that you like staring at people in the dark, they'll tell you that they like doing the same thing. And then you can somehow enjoy it, even though you're both doing it now and know you're doing it. And that would probably take something out of it. But anyway, you know, it seemed like like there was a real, oh, we're both sort of perverts about this sort of thing there and then we're both terrible people and then instead he asks her out when it's not just a dream anymore and she's all like oh i don't know she's really standoffish and it's like oh see you should only ask people out when they're traumatized by your attempt to kill them because then they'll be open and forthcoming about their their shared uh, voyeurism because he establishes that yeah she does in fact take so she really is a secret voyeur just like he is but she doesn't want to discuss that with him when he actually just asked her out like a normal human being. It just being. comes across like a, she says no, but she, she still, she wants you. Just good. Well, and it's, 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 it's just so felt weird. really yeah. slimy. <laughs> well, and to be fair, it's not like he was pressuring her to take her clothes off. He's like, hey, would you go out with me? And she's like, I don't know if that's such a good idea. And he's like, really? And she's like, well, yeah, I don't know. Maybe right. I'll think about it. And he's like, really? And she's like, yeah. And then she kisses him. And it's like, it doesn't even get to be properly menacing to me. It's not like he's like, oh, really? I think you yeah, want me. Yeah, I mean, it's not overt, but I think this undercurrent is really slimy. It's, uh, it's not menacing. It's just a little gross. Oh, sure, <laughs> sure. Where I thought you were going with that is, uh, you know, he's now out of the game and, uh, you know, he finds the pictures and this is, I guess, letting us know that the things that happened in the game actually did happen. And then all of a sudden we're in... Not just it was all a dream, but it was all a dream, or was it? Well, I don't, th- I don't think, I don't think that follows from the pictures. I think what it suggests is that a lot of what was in there was the stuff that happened in the game was was sort of fruit from the tree of what was in his mind. Had like he, w- it's showing us that he intuited correctly that she <laughs> shared his sort of mutual fascination. Yeah, or he like, optimistically he picked up wanted on that. her too. Yeah. And, and so the game scanning his brain, as it were, for, you know, the, the basis of its nightmare adventure of self-empowerment <laughs> correctly just picked up on that. And because uh, I felt like the I felt like the film was kind of intentionally signaling early on, in fact, that she was aware that he was watching and that she was sort of like putting on a show. I thought so. Yeah. So. So, yeah, I think it's fair to say maybe he was picking that up the, too. the movie has no idea how to hide its cards and just completely telegraphs the entire <laughs> thing and you know, immediately. Well, I'm not going to say that's not part of it, but I think there was at least some intentionality there. Yeah. I don't I don't think that gives it up as the or was it moment there so much as is it a possible okay, future so is, it, is there any is there any sense at all in the or was it moment like this credit start and then our fucking loathsome anti-hero the trickster aren't we forgetting something and then it's just over long shot of a dog running around with a foot yeah that german shepherd shows up with 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 the foot that only got cut off that in the German dream. Shepherd must have had a real good contract because he's gets so much screen time. <laughs> oh, that long lingering shot Just on the dog. No that's reason. like 
This is the director's dog. <laughs> well, he only had a walk-on role in Terminator the Two. Loves this, and dog. then he gets like he, like heavy billing in the credits and everything. It's... <laughs> yeah, somebody loved the hell out of that dog. Or it just has a fucking awesome agent, really. Like, who is, if you're act an actor, find out who that dog's agent was and fucking hire him immediately. That dog was originally in an Aerosmith video. But was it? Did that? Did that? Or it? Or did it make any sense? I mean, did it? I mean, it or it was made it? No sense. It, no, it, well, you I know, mean, one possibility just... is that the dog found an unrelated cutoff foot because I was kind of looking for the, the 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 snake and dagger tattoo on the foot at the end, and I didn't see it, but it may have just been like you know hard to see. I think it's that. I mean, it's that ending in horror movies that um, apparently studios absolutely love and insisted on for a long time. There was a great interview with uh, Wes Craven. Um, you know about the ending of Nightmare on Elm Street that does the it was all just a dream or was it you know where everything's okay and then and he's just like he's, he's just, you know this is the ending I hate the most <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the studio just insists that you know because it leaves stuff open for sequels so nicely it gets a last you know you can have that last jump scare the um, false coda yeah the, the the horror movie false coda is such a trope especially with 80s horror fit at all and it's something that like all directors hate and studios just loved um hmm. for 10 or 15 years well and you know i i i, I want to say okay so this this was my experience in the last 10 minutes of he wakes up and realizes it was all just a dream and then I'm like, oh shit! You really did it. You really did. An, it was all just a dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then he and then he knocks his his little microwave dinner and his glass of milk on the floor. I noticed. I made a note about that too. Like, like, fuck you, TV dinner. I think he was as angry as we were <laughs> that it was all. He was like, oh my god, I'm in this movie. Fuck! And just like he, you know, knocked he was it. mostly mad at that lamp. <laughs> I think they cut to like six different angles of him just like hitting that lamp, and he's like, yeah. They could lamp. only afford one the lamp. The lamp is so the problem. They get a lot of mileage out of it. <laughs> really mad about this video. They really game. overbuilt it. They can use it a lot. So so okay, so so I see that and I'm like, oh shit, it's all just a dream. And then I'm like, but but that feels like a classic false coda. And and I peeked at the running time and yeah. I felt a little bit bad because I wanted to just guess, mm-hmm. but I I had to peek, and there's like ten minutes left on the clock. And like, you know, four or five LP credits, but still, that's too long for it just to be happy. But then with Dawning Horror, I realized it actually was happy. And we only get the false coda with the sort of winking appearance of the trickster in that scene with the principal where he gives him the brain scan video to check out. That's part of why the last 10 minutes felt like it was a whole nother hour. But every every 10 minutes kind of felt like that because every I mean, every scene is like, you know, what's going to happen at the end of the scene. It's not going to be a surprise, but they still have to stretch it out with a bunch of scenes of him looking at a trellis or whatever. Yep. They were just, yeah, whole chunks of the movie were as just like, yeah, a thing hasn't happened. A thing should happen in a movie ever so often. When when the trickster was telling me he had to kill the, the witness, that's what he was going to do with this too. He had to get rid of the witness. <laughs> I was really hoping it was the guy's cat. I there's a couple that too. Really, yeah, there's like very conspicuous shots of the cat. Like in the setup to the murder, and it just goes on and between the obvious like inserted shots of the cat, which the cat's not in any of the op- like the broader shots, it just <laughs> cuts. The director like loves the his cat, cat also, <laughs> and then and then it it doesn't reveal who the witness is for a long time, and and you just I'm just like it's the cat, just let it be and the cat. I, I I think the movie knew that it did not do enough to establish before the murder of Kyle the witness that Kyle wore that little pendant. 
because they have him conspicuously, you know, mention and thrust it at the screen during the happy ending portion. Right. And and make a reference to Lucky Charms because, you know, we don't have enough dumb pop culture <laughs> commercial references in the film. So, like, yeah, because I, I saw the thing in the freezer. I was like, this is supposed to tell me something, but I don't know what. And, you know, Michael's all upset because obviously he murdered someone who he knew who it was, maybe, I guess. But I still didn't know who it was until they actually, you know, right. had him call Kyle and the detective answered and all that. And I guess Kyle was just a witness because Michael told him about how awesome the video game was. Right. I think because I was trying to figure out if he was supposed to be like lurking outside the murder victim's house, which didn't no, make any trickster sense. says like yeah, not a witness. He wasn't in the a witness. Sense. He got tricked. Right. Ah, uh, trickster. Okay. Ooh. Is the trickster the most loathsome movie character you can think of in the entire world? <laughs> I, that may be asking a lot. I literally can't think of a character I I loathe more than that <laughs> right now. I really I would I've been scratching my head. Oh, so we're talking about loathsome as in a character who we exegetically loathe, not a character who is loathsome as a character within the narrative confines where they appear. I can't think of a Maybe character I would both. R- wouldn't rather be looking at watching <laughs> as I watch a movie. Just his you know fucking what? froggy fish face and stupid fucking fingernails <laughs> and costume and hair and is the way he draws out the last syllable of every word and pontificates really shittily like it wants to be a memorable movie villain. It's just so... It hurts my guts to look at that. Well, and I got to say, the guy who was playing it, he was at least trying to do it. You know, I mean, I got to give the, he, who, the he actor. He wasn't phoning it in like crazy. everyone yeah. else in the movie was. He was, he was, he was chewing a bit hey, of scenery. I, I looked him up and he's actually a, I think, a pretty respected stage actor. And he, play, he does the voices for two Venture Brother characters whose names I forget. <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's I'm not blaming the actor. I, I, it just came together so repulsively. I think um, what, probably my favorite moment in the movie was uh, during the fantastic uh, Primus dancing scene. Oh, God, it was, it um, so much. Just Ed- Edward Furlong's reactions, where he's just, like, totally out of proportion to all his other reactions so far in the movie. Just like He's just like, stop it! Just stop it! <laughs> stop just like, being you. He's just like, stop, I, this... Dancing around to Primus is the worst thing I have. He's he, that has... he's really all over the board emotionally. You know, at one point, like he's he blusters at Trickster, who's like you know giving a hard time about he should play the video game, and he's like, oh, no, no. and then in response to something, he says to Trickster, "Hey, I've done pretty good so far." <laughs> like, he, like at that moment, he decides, you know, the most important thing I can do right here when being confronted by this weird, horrible Trickster demon thing that has involved me in a video game of murder is to brag about how good I am at not getting caught for committing the murders or something. It wasn't even clear so, what he was bragging about. There he was, was just a, like a little thread of that running through the whole thing where I there's like a moment where the Trickster tries to like get him to play the next disc by going like well you didn't you can't win the game you're just a loser right he's like well i guess i will go murder my friend if you (laughs) think that makes me good at video games there's so much like no i can't oh i didn't realize that this is real murder Uh, okay let's do it 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 seems like there's so and he never gets won over he just like because the scene comes to an end he changes his mind like he's like i just i realized i just murdered someone and he's like well why don't you play the second disc and he's like um, 
well, I don't really want to. And the trickster's like, well, do it, I guess. And he's like, oh, okay, I guess, I guess let's do the next murder now. Yeah, and just by the time he gets to the fourth disc, it's just so, he's just like, the movie stops even trying to justify his switch from, you know, not wanting to to wanting to, and he just does. This is not a game anymore. Right. This is just crimes. <laughs> Lots of crimes. I guess I'd better go do some crimes now. Which um, absolutely summed up the movie for me. You may not remember the details, my boy, but I'm positive you remember you controlled the disc. You controlled what happened. What? So you take responsibility. How did you get in here? You invited me in. How it always works. Michael. Don't you have anything good? Well, you know, okay, here's here's something that we need to discuss. The the presentation of his experience of the various discs. Because the first disc, we get the uh sort of point of view steady cam thing that honestly looks if you know, more than anything else to me, it made me think of the opening to Halloween mm-hmm. with the steady cam murder of Michael Myers older sister or babysitter or whoever it was. Right, absolutely. Although it's weird because it's like it's it's a steady cam POV shot, but occasionally it's a shot from behind so you can see like the hand holding the knife or whatever. Right. But anyway, you know, the the first video we get bits and pieces of what was apparently a 51 minute long murder venture where we sort of see it point of view with the narration right. of the internal monologue of Trickster really enjoying this apparently. Right. The second we see nothing of, which leaves it as a mystery who, who got killed and how and whatnot. The third one we see him going to, and then we watch him as a, whatever, a subjective character in normal cinematography where we sort of right. see footage of him going around, but it's not like we're watching footage. We're just watching the movie. Right. He's now a character in the the scenes we're watching and he gets back from that one and walks up into the attic and sees the TV screen showing the, st- the clock stopped at one minute and 50 seconds. And Trix is like, hey, you made it. You're sloppy, but you made it. <laughs> and so he doesn't like fall back asleep and then wake up with a start from that one. Unlike the previous two, we have the sense of him being totally aware of everything that happened that time. Unlike the previous two, where it's not clear after the second one if he has any idea what happened other than something happened. And the first one, he sort of remembers murdering stuff, but not all the details. It's really terrible because the first one is the one that's most explicitly shown, and it's supposedly the one he has the most trouble remembering. So it puts the audience way out of sync with the character. It's, yeah, it's like it, we're, we're specifically prevented from having a sense of what he's supposed to be experiencing because we don't get any sort of consistent messaging from the film about where his level of involvement with what we're seeing is. Right, and it's and there's no reason it had to be the that continuous like it could have just been bits and pieces that later we put together when he sees you know recognizes the gate and the bike and reckon you know whatever on the television he sees the the disheveled room and stuff like we could still put that together if 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 they hadn't shown the entire first disc as one relatively continuous event sure yeah um well i think that uh you know after this is all shown to just be you know all his waking moments are also within the game like in David Fincher's The Game. We really are tying these together, aren't we? <laughs> um, we can uh, 
just go back and blame all these problems on bad video game writing within the <laughs> movie's universe. Uh, Aha, it is brilliant. It's not it's not shitty writing, it's a condemnation of shitty writing. Yeah, because this was this was just a weird beta test by some scientists trying out their new technology, maybe. Their new murder fantasy. Murder. Their new right. what was the term that I don't know, they said they said VR a couple times. Like heightened reality or something they said. Heightened in that re- it was speech. a heightened reality field. <laughs> A heightened reality something. Yeah. Something. A little, some, some, some wanky little bit of BS. Um, yeah, I don't think the science in this movie really holds up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's true that the movie is written in its own excuses by making it all a dream, for sure. Well, and that's why I hate them so but much. Because like, it doesn't make it unimpunable to me. It makes it, like, there's reasons that, there's no reason these inconsistencies should exist. Yeah, it's... Even it, if it were a dream. It's so I unsatisfying th- when there's that cop out of, oh, well, it was all a dream, because it's like, and so are you telling us that we shouldn't give a crap about incoherent stuff in the story? Because like if, if your whole pitch for your script is don't get invested because it's all <laughs> crap that doesn't matter and didn't happen. Right. I don't get invested. You know, when you send that message, I'm like, OK, fuck you. I'll just uh, I'll preemptively condemn this motherfucker. Well, I think he explains it. It all doesn't matter as long as people get killed. <laughs> Right. That's uh, okay. So it's uh, again with uh, the the idea that whoever made this didn't really like horror films. I kind of I kind of feel like that. There, there, there's a lack of a sense of love, but at the same time, there's a sense of familiarity because there's a lot of trope stuff. There, we had the false coda feel to the end, mm-hmm. however oddly bungled it was. We had the dream about sexy times that turns into something terrible scene mm-hmm. where he's dreaming that uh, they're getting it on, and then oh no, instead it's that first guy he killed. You know, it's like there, there's 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 these things that feel like they're based on a familiarity with horror as a genre and an right. exposure to it. Sure. And, and 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 yet, yeah, that doesn't come out as love. It just comes out as like running through the motions. Yeah. And I mean, all of the uh, like slasher film moments when it would just, you know, and which is basically all of the movie is it's just a slasher film. were just awful. Yeah. You know, I mean, there were just all of the moments of gore were just super badly done mm-hmm. it's just i mean it's pretty much all just like this guy's coat is all bloody and i'm wiggling the knife around underneath or whatever can, can i say no one in this movie knows how to look at a bush i the, everyone, <laughs> two here's, separate here's a scenes. note i wrote to myself bush blindness <laughs> yeah <laughs> Like, I can believe you could not see someone in a bush, but not the bushes we actually got to see on camera. Right. He's like hiding under a sparse bit of foliage. And then, yeah, some guy will be standing two feet away, actively looking because a dog is sniffing or right. actively looking because he's on a so man. So much hunts. of this movie is Edward Furlong hiding. Yeah. And it's so fucking tedious. And even they are just terrible scenes because the people are looking right at him. Also, Edward Furlong drinking milk badly. Yeah. I don't he know if there's a scene in this film where he successfully, yeah, does he ever <laughs> manage to get all the milk in his mouth? Was, I, I can only think of like two milk drinking scenes. I think th- I can think of three milk drinking scenes, I'm pretty sure. There was the classic drinking the milk out of the curtain and then it's already bad mm-hmm. uh, comedy zinger. Mm-hmm. Which he, he chucks it because it's bad, but he doesn't spit it out. If I drink milk bad enough that I immediately know it's bad, that's going in the sink. And then I'm like immediately getting a glass of water or something because, oh, my God, that's the worst thing in the world. Well, slackers in the 90s, they don't even care enough to spit out their spoiled milk. I guess it was 20 years ago. The milk couldn't have been as bad yet. So, uh, 
that's how that works, right? That's <laughs> sort all. of. They yeah. just made milk once 2,000 years ago and we're slowly going through it. And there's his chugging milk out of fear in a weird way. And Right, but but then, but then, and then there's the third one where he wakes up, right when he wakes up from the game, he's just like, wow, holy shit. And then he's like. Yeah, the, after the first disc. And then he stuffs the like old chicken bones in his mouth and then washes it down <laughs> with the whole thing of milk. <laughs> That was really, I was like, how long has he been in this game? Is that, I was really thinking, is, is that like weird warm milk now? You were more invested in this movie than I was. Uh, I had a lot of investment with the milk. I was, I was a little bit worried about it. I, I've got a thing about bad milk. The milk's so. the only character with a real arc in the movie. Yeah, weird warm bad milk is not a, I was not super invested. I mean, I think I did organize my downloads folder <laughs> while this movie was going and, I was I was I was literally working. I was uh, keeping an eye on Metafilter and just pausing every ten minutes and sort of being <laughs> thankful that I was able to. Well, I suffered every fucking second of it. So. <laughs> oh, I watched it all. I just uh, I had the headphones on. I closed the other windows. That's dedicated. I kind of wanted to do that, but it just uh, timing wise didn't work out. Yeah, so sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, I got the full blast of the fucking loathsome trickster, though. Yeah. Thank God bless you. You know, you know, my thought was like the 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 first thought I had about the trickster character when I saw him in makeup was it's like Neelix from Voyager's like shitty brother. Mm. Looked a lot like him. Uh, that a cross between that and whoever the Star Trek villain I think it was who was played by the guy who played Salieri and Amadeus with a stretched face or whatever. Huh. Wasn't that uh, one of the next generation films or something? Some evil dude. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, I don't remember. Yeah, Basically, I, I managed to mash films. two different Star Trek characters. You know, together you know to what? You know villain. what? The trickster reminded me of a little bit uh, is little monsters. That's exactly what I, was I haven't seen that in was, so long. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, Howie Mandel. Uh, I I have rewatched that one. That's what I actually kind of want to do for the podcast. Yeah, where it's like this. This is how an adult thinks a kid wants a fun adult to act. <laughs> <laughs> But the adult who's thinking the kid thinks that doesn't know fucking anything about kids or like what's yeah. enjoyable to put in a movie. <laughs> I got to say another thing here, actually, it's, it's I'm tying it together a little bit more, but the costume design and sort of the attitude for the trickster, I feel like if they could have gotten anybody to play him, maybe it would have been uh, Steven Tyler. Mm. I mean, he's got kind of a oh, Aerosmith-ish... Okay strut and uh outfit sort of thing i could see i feel like they even yeah. like did that in the makeup they did like the steven tyler stretched mouth he's got a wide mouth yeah, that's I, why he has that fucking but, frog face mm-hmm. that's probably it Ugh. like I, I, mean, I think that was done in in makeup on it oh yeah yeah that was his actual yeah, that's face with right. that uh, right but it felt like he almost had like a taped back cheeks to give him that yeah steven tyler mouth God damn, it does all come together, doesn't it? Oh, Aerosmith. Fucking hell. Wait, this, is, this is the Dan Brown look the fuck this out. This is funny because it's one We're of the questions the I actually wanted to start the conversation with was, is there any way that could have been a redeemable character? Because it's he's obviously meant to like join the ranks of Pinhead or Michael Myers or whatever as a memorable villain who, you know, he's the bad guy, but you sort of think he's cool at the same time thing. And it was such a whiff, but... I was trying to think like what what would have made that character work would have would a better actor have pulled it off or what could they have changed I mean aside from just cutting him completely fucking out of the movie it's hard to say it's it, it's such a counterfactual because yeah you'd have to 
You'd be doing a lot of work on the whole movie to make anything work mm-hmm. interestingly. I mean, all of his lines would need to go. I don't think he had a good line. Everything um, he said or did would have to go, I think. There was no real <laughs> purpose to him. I mean, he was a evil video game character that wanted people to kill. I guess, right? <laughs> I guess you know it's, you know, and that's the thing. You it get, seems like we should at least know the answer to that. Or was, or what? Did he not exist, and he really just was Edward Furlong all along? I, I, His he, evil video game loving side. He could be. He could be something produced from Ed Furlong's psyche. Right. Like, like, like again, if taking the idea that maybe we're supposed to run with a notion that really everything that the game does is really just a manifestation of his subconscious then maybe the trickster as we see him is oh my god oh my god oh my god hold on steven tyler durden (laughs) shit (laughs) we've solved this movie i think (laughs) you're gonna need to write an essay for this uh I feel like I feel like you, you name someone trickster and you're invoking obviously the concept of the trickster. You know, right. it's very much we're getting into okay, this is a Loki figure, a coyote figure. These are not figures who are inherently bad or evil. They're just very aggressively into, you know, trolling. They want to fuck with people. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes their role can be sort of reparative or redemptive in the long run, where you realize all the pranks they pulled on someone were to, you know, aid that person in personal growth. So that sort of goes back to the It's a Wonderful Life thing, where ultimately he's the Clarence figure, in a sense. Like, he presents very evil, but what he's doing is he's trying to provoke uh, Michael into confronting his own rage and post-traumatic stress disorder and and sort of come out the other side as he ends up doing in the movie, realizing, oh my God, everything's okay, life's great, I'm not a horrible murderer, I'm going to go ask that girl out. So I, I feel like... In a sense, we're supposed to be looking for that. And I spent the whole film looking for it. But at the same time, the film really doesn't give us <laughs> anything to back that up. He actually just seems like a cartoonish fucking villain. Right. So it's Plus like, the, ah. none, of, none of the none of the things are transformative breakthroughs for the character. Like, it's just like a guy saying, hey, you have suicidal thoughts or a guy saying, hey, blood reminds you of that accident you were in. Or yeah. himself telling himself, like, I'll bet that girl across from me is a weirdo voyeur perv, too. And not, none of it is like a transitional moment that 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 makes his change make any sense. Absolutely. It's, it, it, these are things the film that could have done. And I think it would have made it a at least structurally more satisfying film if they had done it. But instead, they've just got this weird sort of very, you know, brittly boned skeleton of some of these tropes from other films sure. that you can see the shape of it, but it can't really actually stand up. Uh, I really went for the, the, the crappy bone metaphor there. Didn't I? <laughs> uh. You wanted the ultimate experience in terror. Well, terror's in the doing. It's not watching horror films like some child. And it's not spying on Kimberly. You get off on that, Michael. I love her. It could be any girl in any window and you know it. I won't kill her! Kill Carol! She won't just come to me first! Like last time. Stop this! Only you can stop this! Her life or yours! Choose! Um, the trickster also, um, I guess I mentioned one trick, but overall very little tricking. (laughs) Yeah, not a whole lot. More just like, you know, convincing a really weak-willed protagonist to go ahead and keep doing bad shit. (laughs) No, kill another guy. 
Uh, I don't want to but kill him. I guess I'll do police. I think he had threats. He said threats sometimes. Kind of like a yeah. Trick. What would happen if you got <laughs> caught by the police? Wouldn't that be a bummer? Kill uh-huh. again. Go do some murders. <laughs> <laughs> and he opened the door for the cop at the end, which was nice. <laughs> I want. How did the cop? I guess the cop wasn't real because none of no. It was I real. still thought that but question. How did the cop take that? Uh, right. When the door suddenly flew up and in front of him, he's like, right. Would the cop not have been able to open the door on his own anyway? What's, <laughs> why was he there to open that door? Symbolism. It didn't, wasn't symbolic. No, 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 no. It, it is. Okay, what we were just talking about, that's the redemptive... Well, let's get into the fucking semiotics here. The door opening. The cop comes through and blows him away, and right. then he wakes up after the cop opens the door. The, the door is open. That's his portal to a transformative experience where he comes out the other side ready to begin the healing process. If that was true, then he would have passed through the door somehow. Well, probably, but... Speaking of passing through things, there was that very The Ring-ish first introduction to the trickster where he comes through the TV and we actually get a side shot of his right. face stretching through. Sure. Although after that, he just transports in every single time. Right. So I don't know what that was really for. Yeah, that, there was no logic to how he appeared or when or when he was a voice or when he was in person and when he was on the television. It just didn't make any sense. That stretchiness costs money. Right. Yeah, they gotta... right. And then there was the they sort of mush their faces together with the smudge tool and then he's, oh. he inhales him. Because the swishing that, didn't wasn't working, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a little bit. I wasn't sure what we were supposed to get out of that either. Although I want to say that effect sequence was remarkably familiar in terms of execution to some of the climactic effect sequence in Hellraiser Three, which mm-hmm. I just watched for the other movie podcast that I'm doing. I know. Put a I plug in like for that because I like that podcast. I, I will. I'll, I'll, I'll plug it in a sec. All right. But let me finish this, this thought, which is that the, the scene was very similar, that you had two opposing protagonists presenting essentially good and evil in conflict as elements of the self that then merge with a really shitty smudge effect. <laughs> you know, and, so, and that was that film was like 92. So there's like a strong parallel mm. here. Um, and, and KMFDM was on that soundtrack as well. So and I, I think there's no Aerosmith in that film, though, for that 10 minutes of the movie, the trickster was representing a piece of his uh, psyche um so symbolism yeah i guess right yeah there. here's another here one more hellraiser tie-in spoiler for hellraiser 4 here hellraiser 4 has a has two twins whose faces physically get twisted together on the flesh. yes so it, yes is that uh the first space hellraiser i think Probably. it's the yes. first the only space only. Hellraiser. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't think any others went to space i think that it was just that one i was telling josh about with our space. with the time he rented five movies that were all horror <laughs> franchises that went to space to die unfortunately in hindsight only about half those franchises died in space most of them <laughs> continued <laughs> on he made it back from space i mean leprechaun went to the hood leprechaun came back from space and went to the hood jason hellraiser came back Freddy. jason came back Forget what the other two were. Muppets. Muppets wasn't a horror movie, eh? <laughs> it was, we had to fill our fist slots with the Muppets, and we couldn't find another one. Well, Muppets made it back, too. In fact, probably maybe everyone we watched didn't die in space. Yeah, it was just the most recent one at the time we made those rentals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think horror franchises really die. They just uh, they just wait. Yeah, they rise from the dead Lurking. over and over. Can I... Can I, can I uh, uh, I'm, why am I saying can I <laughs> like I'm going like you're going to say no and it would even stop me if you did but okay a couple a couple notes I had a, I had a revelation late in the film 
No, no revelations are allowed. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so, uh, okay. I, I had a dumb idea while uh, uh, on the toilet. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, so, okay. Something, something. Was it brain scan I, I, two I, in space? Yes. Right. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> uh, th- th- this is, this is, this is the moment in the film that made me actually type the sentence. I hate every detail of this film in my notes, which is that, uh, going for disc four after declaring it's not a game anymore. And this is just crimes. Mm-hmm. Lots of crimes. Lots of crimes. <laughs> Michael apparently decides that he will in fact put in disc four and go kill the girl he has a crush on for some reason. Uh, he does do that. And so he dials up the game one more time and, Igor uh, helpfully says you know, goodbye. Does that and says goodbye, yeah. master. <laughs> Which I was like, oh my fucking god! But then I was, I was still thinking about it a little That's bit. That's the moment that I just gave up, completely gave up. Yeah, it's the like, movie gave up. <laughs> it's like this is somebody thought that was brilliant. Somebody's like, <laughs> okay. oh my god, and they just did that thing where they go, you know, with their hand, and they're like, oh yes, masterpiece. I just want to jump in and say that at that moment he no longer had to voice dial with numbers. He could just say the name of the place. Mm. Um, so I'm not sure if he took some time out in between to program that into his butler. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm assuming so. There was like, we missed a scene where he just did a little bit of like <laughs> shell scripting. Okay. But the other thing, so Igor says goodbye, Muster, mm-hmm. and he goes to, to disc four murder his, his future maybe girlfriend. And that's when I'm, I see him breaking into her house, which her parents don't notice. She also, they also don't notice when she starts literally screaming. She's also the only person who has parents in the entire universe, apparently. So yeah, as far as I can tell. Like, yeah. his and, friend and, and even and they don't no stop her from throwing a party with beer for 16-year-olds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, he's breaking into the house. And at this moment, I realize with the bad knee, I mean, he's been limping on and off throughout the film, but with a bad (laughs) knee and his passionate desire to go commit a murder, I guess he's really like limping it up. And that's when I realized (laughs) Igor, he is Igor in this scene. He's a limping hunched over monster. And it's like, Oh, the Igor thing. It's actually another reflection of his personality. He's like an onion. He's, (laughs) he's, he's constantly reflected by his, by his surroundings to the point where he actually, He's got the self-loathing thing going I, on. That's like, more credit than I'm going to allow myself to give this movie, I think. Yeah. Wouldn't it be a but back felt, problem felt, if they were doing that on purpose instead of a leg problem? It, it felt really good for about 15 seconds there. And I was just so happy to feel good about anything while watching the movie <laughs> that I just, I, I wanted to hold on to it as long as I could. I'm happy that I can still have feelings after watching this movie. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, God. Lots of crimes. <laughs> oh, oh, the so, crimes. Uh, so... It, so, it sounds like we all liked it. I give it a nine five. <laughs> How about you guys? Um, I I had to pay four dollars to watch this movie. I think we all and, did. Uh, I had to and... rent it twice. <laughs> so Jesse, you're going to be getting a kickback from both iTunes and Amazon on this one. <laughs> oh man. Uh, Oh, that reminds me. You know, maybe we can. If uh, I have a scratch off lottery ticket here. Oh, excellent! And if we excellent. win, if we win, if we win a scratch off lottery Split ticket, it three uh, ways. I will pay you guys back for the cost of this movie because I feel terrible. <laughs> I just feel uh, be- so bad. Before you go there, I have, I have one more thing about the movie. Yeah, is do you all know the story about Edward Furlong and the lobsters? <laughs> no, but this is a good start for a story. Is it a Aesop's? Fable? Yeah. Edward Furlong uh, and the Lobsters? Yeah, I mean, see but if... Edward, you knew I was a lobster when you picked me out. <laughs> see, if, see if you can get the moral at the end. Um, but his his really big, like, 
child actor going crazy story. You know, some some of them, you know, rob convenience stores or whatever the terrible drug stories are. Mm -hmm. But him and his friends just got too drunk and went to the uh, grocery store that had a lobster tank and uh, stole all the lobsters to liberate them. (laughs) (laughs) When the police came, he just spun around in circles with his lobsters. <laughs> and, uh, Edward, I'm sorry I've been bad-mouthing you this whole episode. I love you now. <laughs> we get it now. Your method. Right. <laughs> That's a good story. He's making a comeback. That's a good story. I, but I, I kind of want to know what happened to the lobsters in that story, but I feel like maybe we don't have the answer to that question. I imagine they're dead by now. It's been... It's been a, <laughs> Whatever happened, it wasn't good for the lobsters. But did they live out their lives in Edward Furlong's aquarium? I don't think he had an aquarium. I think he was just, you know, freeing them out into the world. Like the street outside the grocery store or wherever. Right. Yeah, it's... that's That reminds me of a sad story about (laughs) you and me, Aaron. Uh. Um... Josh, a friend of ours once brought a live lobster from Maine to California, and we tried to keep it alive in the fridge for a while, but it just <laughs> didn't. Just had a sad ending. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mr. Pinchy. Oh, man. That's that's pretty bad. Yeah. I, I had a similar experience as a kid with crawdads from a, a, a creek at my grandma's place, but it ended very quickly. We <laughs> brought them back and put them in a bucket of water in the sun. <laughs> And it was a very warm day, and mm. so they basically just sort of expired that afternoon. What the fucking hell? What is this? Hello there. You've just experienced Brain Scan, the ultimate experience in interactive terror. We're glad you decided to play. Our special state-of-the-art system releases a powerful reality-enhancing signal. We here at Scientific Perception Laboratories, makers of brain science and other games, hope you've enjoyed the feeling. A dream. However, we understand that reality compression can be... Wasn't you getting real? We offer these simple relaxation techniques to calm you down. In a suited position, place your head. I didn't kill anybody. There's no trickster. Now, breathe deep. Bath. I feel like it would have been easier if I had seen it before. Like, it wouldn't be any better, obviously, but at least I'd have, like, some sense of nostalgia, like a sense of returning to a thing that I already sort of know what I'm getting into. It's like, it was, it was especially bad because the whole thing was such a fresh voyage <laughs> through uh, mediocrity. I did get a little bit, still a, got a pang of nostalgia off the couple little details, like, like I mentioned, the answering machine, the um, Iron Maiden poster, and also, strangely, off of the kids walking to school with their backpack over one shoulder, but not the other. That just seemed like a quintessentially 90s thing that I remembered. I definitely did that a lot. I had that Metallica shirt as front head. Oh, nice. I have Line em Up, the uh, slot machine-themed scratch-off lottery ticket. I have a new one called Wild Money Doubler. That has a, seems to have Ooh, a that sounds fancy. toucan theme. Make sure you got a lot in your pocket already when you play that one. Otherwise, you're going to feel pretty silly. And then I have Cool Nines, our longest sponsor. Longest running sponsor. Aaron, do you want cool nines? 
Uh, no, I'm going with intense mega doubler. <laughs> Wild money doubler? Sure. Josh, do you want to uh, pick a, a scratcher to root for here? Cool nines or line them up? Line them up, baby. All right. That one's that sounds much more assertive. I like I like a I like a form of gambling that sounds like a, a, an exhortation. All right, I'll start with cool nines then. Cool number is twenty nine. We have five chances to match that. Twenty nine. Come on, twenty nine. We did not get twenty nine. <laughs> we got thirty, which would have been forty two dollars. But not twenty nine. All right, so that's one one loser. Line them up is next. Line them up. Oh, you came close, but you didn't win. Son of a bitch. Gem, gem, key. You, you have to match three in a row, like on a slot machine. Gem, gem, key, crown, crown, horseshoe, money bag, star, money bag. Uh. I could make allegorical arguments for, for why each of those is actually a matching set. Do you want me to get it into your hands and you can go have an argument with the person that's a little... <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good idea, yeah. I think that'll end well. I'll be like, this isn't a game anymore. <laughs> it's uh, One time I tried to make a joke when I was buying them, like, hey, it's the last ones I bought didn't win. I'm gonna... Is it okay if I return these if they don't win? And they were like, no, there's definitely no returns. I was like, oh, <laughs> kind of joking. I wasn't really going to. Ne- ne- never accidentally sound like a gambling addict. Right. It, uh... All right. Wild money doubler, Aaron, you're our only hope. All right. I'm pretty good at these. Okay. So this being a new one, uh, you just scratch off six spots. Each one can, if it has a toucan, you win the amount of money under the toucan. If it has a wild symbol, you win double mm-hmm. the money. All right. All right. Here we go. I'm going to go for toucans. Orange. Hmm. Lime. That's not a not a toucan at all. Star. Butterfly. Pineapple. I'm not quite understanding the theme. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's all fruit and toucans. You know, double your money. Banana. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I guess we're not making our money back today, so not great sponsorship opportunity this time around. But at the same time, I'm really glad we get, I got to share this burden with you guys. I don't know how I could have lived through that movie without the light at the end of the tunnel that you guys were also in equal misery. <laughs> it's a it's really it's it's the kind of movie that uh, that really just asks for a support group. Yeah, definitely. It's like I don't think hell is other people. I think hell is the movie Brain Scan, and other people are the only <laughs> redemption from hell. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for doing this with me. This was so much fun. I think we're t- we're pretty much good here. Yeah, thanks thanks for having me back. Any last bits? Yeah. Uh, uh, you want to plug your? Yeah. Oh, I will plug. Uh, yes, my other my other movie podcast, which uh, which I started doing well after uh, recording that Willow episode with you. That uh, we've now made three episodes, and and that episode will come out. It's it's called. Uh, <laughs> I choose to plug it by being shitty to you. This is a good plan. <laughs> yeah, what else? You know, motherfucker. No, it's called uh, We Have Such Films to Show You, based on the line We Have Such Sights to Show You, from the classic Clive Barker film Hellraiser, of which they made eight sequels, they being a variety of people with increasingly less money or interest in the actual uh, source material. Sure. But me and uh, Yakov Grinberg, a.k.a. Griffiths, on Metafilter, where I'm Cortex, uh, we're watching them all, and we're putting up a new episode every couple weeks where we talk for a couple hours about all the little details that are terrible and in some cases interesting or maybe redemptive about these films and we're getting later in the series so uh, mostly be terrible rather than redemptive uh going forward i, I think. think there's one more good one but yes the next one will be in space 
Isn't isn't there a good one later on? No, there's no uh, good there, ones later on. Compared oh. <laughs> to most of the direct-to-video ones, one or two of them are a bit better than the others by the standards of terrible direct-to-video sequels that weren't originally Hellraiser scripts at all. Uh, so it, it, it's like there's a local maxima in that big, <laughs> big systemic trough in the graph, <laughs> but that's not saying a whole lot. But yeah, it's it's fun. It's kind of like this, except for all about Hellraiser and different people. It is great fun, It's and, I'm, and I've been really enjoying keeping up with it. I like that you called him accidentally Clive Barker for a second. <laughs> Clive Barker. That's the that's the director of the porno Hellraiser series. Yes, yes. <laughs> Long Razor. <laughs> he also made some films as Borky Pig, <laughs> Robert Bork, uh, Sex Judge, uh, Bork the Other White Meat. That was when he was working for the Meat Council. That didn't last long. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh my God! I just oh, I seriously I did remember one more thing from the film, and this is unironically i am not shitting around this is actually just my favorite thing from the entire film we just watched which is this moment when kyle and michael are not getting along and kyle is mad at michael and he comes by and he wants to get the game from michael because michael's been playing this awesome game Mm -hmm. and kyle's like hey i want to borrow brain scan and michael's like no and at this point michael's saying no because it's deadly but all Kyle knows this earlier. He was saying no, because I still want to play it some more. So anyway, Kyle, they have an argument at the front door of Michael's house. And then like Michael closes the door on Kyle's face, like end of discussion and Kyle's pissed. And so he starts ringing the doorbell and he's just like, bing, ding, 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 ding. And he's ringing the doorbell. And Michael finally turns around and goes back and opens the door. And Kyle just flips him the bird and walks away. He's like, no, I'm going to ring your doorbell until you see me flip you off. And I loved that. That was, that was the best petulant, stupid bullshit thing to do because of an argument with your friend. So that one moment, that one moment, congratulations, guy who eventually wrote good movies. You nailed it. He did, he did nail that one. I, I agree. That was a great moment. But I also, it's kind of funny to me that this podcast was done and we'd started wrapping it up and then it jumped back to the movie. <laughs> I just got so excited. That was my favorite thing. (laughs) It doesn't. Sorry to screw the flow there. But in this case, it was a good. We were jumping back for a good reason instead of the worst possible reason, like the movie did. (laughs) (laughs) You know, somebody needs to make like the 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 current perfect topical dumb internet related horror movie would be some sort of Kickstarter horror movie. Hmm. Like somehow, Mm. like you would kickstart a murder. I actually love that. <laughs> so much, I mean, at least a short. Let's let's workshop that a little. We'll we'll, we'll 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 all come back and compare notes on that at some point. <laughs> I think we could make something really really happen, especially if Kickstarter ended up somehow looking like eBay because we didn't understand either of them. Mm. Killstarter is all I can come up with. There's mm-hmm. got to be a better name than that though out there. All right, thanks again, guys. This is so much fun as always, and. uh look forward to doing it again soon i hope indeed yeah thanks for having us yeah <laughs> cheers bye-bye i'll see ya Wait a minute. Haven't you forgotten something?
on our next episode, I'm going to be joined again by Aaron, of course, inevitably, because we can't get rid of him. Terrible. And also by John again. Terrible. You remember John from Prometheus, the first episode, as well as recently the American Werewolf in London episode. Hi, John. Hey, guys. How's it going? The movie, awesome. the movie we want to do for the next episode is RoboCop 3. This is the first time we're doing the sequel to a movie that we've already done. Well, we did do RoboCop 2 after we did RoboCop 1. Oh, that's right. Our lost masterpiece. Right. Yeah. It's, the world's just going to have to imagine how magnificent that conversation was about RoboCop 1, as well as all the other lost experiments. Like me and John <laughs> had one about inner space that I really liked. That's lost. Yep, those are all our Citizen Canes, <laughs> lost forever, never seen by anybody. I guess people saw Citizen Kane. That wasn't a very good analogy. <laughs> Robocop 3 won't be lost, though, because we're professionals now, as you can tell. Mm-hmm. Have you guys... Did you guys see Robocop 3 when it came out? No. Up until about a week ago, I was under the impression that I'd never seen this movie before. Mm. And then when I watched it, I started having this really vague sense of deja vu, and then I realized I have seen this movie, but I actively blocked it from the memory. <laughs> oh, good. So pretty pretty good good film? <laughs> it was fantastic. Yeah. Okay. yeah, RoboCop 3, the sequel to RoboCop 2. Actually, you know, I kept saying in the RoboCop 2 episode, I kept saying RoboCop 2, the sequel to RoboCop over and over again. <laughs> in this one, it's funny because RoboCop 3 isn't really the sequel to RoboCop 2. It's the sequel to RoboCop 1. It completely ignores RoboCop 2 in every way. <laughs> so if you uh, if if you listening were worried that you were going to miss any of the context for RoboCop 3, I mean, you're not going to miss any of the context no matter what. Just watch RoboCop 3. I mean, really don't watch RoboCop 3 because it's terrible. But if you're going to watch RoboCop 3 and play along, since we're planning on watching RoboCop 3 and suffering through it for your benefit... If you're going to do it, don't worry about watching RoboCop 1 or 2 first. Although, you know what? Watch RoboCop 1 because it's great. Don't watch RoboCop 3. <laughs> and stop listening to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, what the hell is the matter with you? <laughs> if you just listened to the preceding, the podcast we just wrapped up about BrainScan, if you were unfortunate enough to watch Bbrainscan before you listened to that episode, why would you even trust us again? Why would you oh, ever man. trust us to suggest a movie to watch? Well, you know we're just going to hurt you. I have a sense that the entire listening audience is basically just suffering from Stockholm Syndrome. I Pretty much that's all I'm banking on. I mean, people keep downloading new episodes, so <laughs> we must accidentally be doing something right. But I, yeah, it has to be a Stockholm Syndrome. I think, thing. I mean, our friends might feel guilty if they don't listen to it, so. Right. <laughs> Yeah, anyone anyone who who is worried about hurting our feelings, really, you should worry about that and keep listening because we'll we'll know we'll know if you stop. Yeah, you you keep count right. I feel real sad. I have I have I have a, a handwritten IP addresses of every one of our friends, <laughs> and if one of them doesn't download one of the episodes, I call them and ask them what I did wrong. Um, I mean, I haven't listened to any of them yet. That would be awful. <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't really count you as a friend, luckily. So you're not yeah. on that list. If uh, if if you do have the Stockholm Syndrome and you want to watch RoboCop 3, I'd say go ahead and do it. Don't worry about watch, watching RoboCop 2 first. Uh, and if you haven't seen RoboCop 1, I mean, go watch RoboCop. Well, just stop listening to the podcast and watch RoboCop 1 and then come back and start listening 
listen to me telling you to watch RoboCop 3, and then I guess you can watch RoboCop 3 at that point. RoboCop 3, I think, didn't get the Criterion release. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, RoboCop 3, like RoboCop 2, was uh, co-written and uh, based on a story by Frank Miller. uh, My favorite. Aaron's favorite guy. Favorite political philosopher. It, sh- it really shows it's something I mean it, a lot of times when we're talking about the next movie we're gonna do it's fun to talk about it interesting thing to keep an eye out for but there's nothing subtle about this movie I mean there's nothing that you like might miss if you're not paying close enough attention just because the, Frank Miller's writing style just bludgeons you to death one thing that's interesting is that he the, he didn't Frank Miller didn't direct it or anything but he um he was obviously pretty heavily involved in the process and the way shots are framed is actually kind of nice through a lot of the movie. And it's interesting to just kind of look at how they set up angles and shots, silhouette one thing against another in ways that I think foreshadow Frank Miller's kind of future endeavors and future attempts to bring comic style visuals to movies. I think that might be an interesting thing to keep an eye out for when you're watching RoboCop 3, because I did really I did enjoy that aspect of it. Also, RoboCop, since it's not Peter Weller in RoboCop 3, it's a new actor, his chin is so big. It's the biggest chin on a RoboCop ever. Did Peter Weller come back for the, upgrade? the was, RoboCop television program? No. RoboCop oh. 2 was the last time Peter Weller ever put on the RoboCop suit <laughs> because Peter Weller hates the RoboCop suit. Peter Weller told Roger Ebert that wearing the RoboCop suit was the worst thing that happened to him in his entire life. So when you're watching RoboCop 1 and RoboCop 2, you're watching a man go through the worst period of his entire life. So that's good to keep in mind. I don't know about the guy who plays RoboCop in RoboCop 3, because I don't know if he was ever in anything else, really. I'm not sure what what else we can really say about RoboCop 3. Maybe keep an eye out for parallels between Ulysses... Ulysses S. Grant and his view of the Mexican-American uh, wars. Okay. I don't know his views of the Mexican-American wars. Yeah, tell us about those. Uh, he was um, basically pretty upset that America, uh, being this much stronger nation, was forcefully uh, displacing and, and occupying um, Mexico in order to uh, sus- sustain like slave trade. And in a lot of ways, uh, the OCP uh, taking over the Cadillac Heights was kind of kind of along the same things. And uh, I think RoboCop and Ulysses S. Grant, uh, you know, it's kind of like, what would Ulysses S. Grant do in this situation if he had the ability to be RoboCop? And of course, I'm really just grasping at straws here. There's not <laughs> anything really, really deep happening in this movie at all. RoboCop shows up and kills some guys, and then he shows up and kills some guys somewhere else. Keep an eye out for that. <laughs> Does RoboCop um, kill punk rockers? Iron, I'm not going to oh, yeah. spoil. This, I'm not. I'm uh, not going to spoil it. I don't want to. I don't want our audiences to know who RoboCop kills. RoboCop kills everybody. Okay. I wasn't sure if this was past the time where the punk rocker was the generic villain or. Uh, the pu- said 93. The punk rocker and the corporate overlord and his his henchmen are both the villains. Also, the Japanese are the villains. Oh, yeah. Yeah, obviously. The hero is really the proletariat. Mm. There's another RoboCop movie coming out shortly in theaters. 
a RoboCop reboot, a reboot Bocop. <laughs> I've seen I've seen the pictures of the costume, and it looks so terrible. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So if we haven't completely betrayed your trust, or if we have, but you're stuck with us because of the Stockholm Syndrome, uh, go ahead and watch RoboCop 3. We should have all the ways you can watch that movie now available at inthecut.org and link to different streaming services and etc. So watch RoboCop 3 and come back in a couple weeks. Me and John and Aaron will be having a chat about it and I hope you're able to join us. Thanks guys. Da, da, da. To see you soon. Bye. Ah! What are you doing kid? I was... I... They just shot the killer over there. Get out of here. <laughs>